Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Our guest today is David Katz-Nelson, who is the executive director of Reboot, a Grammy-nominated music producer. He spent 30 years in the music industry. Most recently, he served as a director of strategic change for the San Francisco Jewish Federation. Katz-Nelson served as the chair of Reboot's board of directors since 2012 and is also one of the first members of the Reboot Network. He has also been active as a member of the community from Reboot's inception, and was the co-founder of two of Reboot's most successful initiatives, the Idelson Society for Musical Preservation and the Dawn Festival, a Shavuot celebration in San Francisco. I was first introduced to Reboot through their 10Q project, where every high holiday season, participants are sent 10 questions, one for each day between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that offer a way to be reflective on the year. The following year, you receive your previous year's answers before starting the process over again for the current year. I've participated in this project since 2009, and it has really added a special element to my high holiday observance. This particular project is what brought me to ask David on the program today, but I do know that Reboot offers a plethora of other programs and events similar to 10Q, like their podcast called The Kibbutz, which help Jews connect to their Judaism in unique ways. So I'm very excited to hear all about Reboot's work. Welcome to the program, David. Ah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on the program. Wonderful. Thank you. So we are going to start as we always do with your own personal journey, as we heard a little bit about. Not always the traditional Jewish professional path, but I'd love to hear how you got here. The fact that I'm here talking today as the executive director of Reboot is definitely a surprise in my career trajectory, a wonderful surprise. But, you know, I started the music industry when I was very, very young, when I was 15 years old. By the time I was 16, I was DJing around town. I was working for Bill Graham Presents, and I had an internship at a punk rock record label here in San Francisco. And this is the mid-80s. Started working at Warner Brothers Records, signed a bunch of bands in the 90s, The Flaming Lips, Mud Honey, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Shane McGowan, and on. And then I moved back up to San Francisco to start my own record label. Ended up being a consultant for a lot of startups that were involved in the entertainment space. It was when I moved back up to San Francisco or about a year beforehand that I met Rachel Levin. That meeting ended up changing my life. Rachel is one of the two co-founders of Reboot, Roger Bennett being the other. And she was kind of bringing me into just a conversation at that time. What would it look like if you brought together a group of people who were Jewish, but not really connected to their Jewishness, who were in their 20s and 30s, who in their lives had the capability of massive cultural shifts? people who had the ability of doing big things, people in the entertainment industry, people in the philanthropy world, people, scholars, people in the magazine world, journalists, tech people, entrepreneurs. And you ask them three questions. What am I inheriting? What does it mean to me? And what, if anything, I want to do about it? It was just a conversation. And that conversation really changed my life, actually. And I came in because I was from the music field. And one of those questions about what do you want to do about it really kind of amounted to how do you take this wonderful, beautiful thing called Judaism, which has since World War II been kind of co-opted in a kind of a, you know, Hitler tried to kill us all. Some of us are still alive. We need to band together. And that whole thing didn't really have a resonance to my generation. How do you take but this beautiful thing and make it your own? And it was through Reboot that I started 
kind of just thinking about Judaism in a different way, playing with it. This Dawn Festival that you mentioned was the first creation that came out of it for me. And within two or three years, Reboot became not just a conversation, but a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And I've just been involved with it the entire time. And, you know, it's one of those things where I was the president of the board. By the way, this is a story that's been told before, probably on your show. I was president of the board. I was leading the search committee for our new executive director. And all of a sudden, I start getting calls from the person who's leading the search to the people on the committee, to the board members themselves, to the staff saying, you know, you should definitely think about taking this job as executive director. And so that's when I kind of made the plunge. It's been a year and a half. It's been a phenomenal year and a half. It's wonderful to work with this organization. The organization, the network that this organization has kind of curated over the past 17 years has grown to over 550 people. The people I get to work with are sensational. And the things that we're doing are really, really inspiring to me. And if they're inspiring to me, hopefully that means they're inspiring to other people as well. That's kind of my career trajectory. I'm still involved in music stuff. I still produce records. I lost a Grammy this year to the Rolling Stones, unfortunately, but still actively involved in the music stuff. And the board knows that. And I think that they understand that it's that kind of pursuit that keeps me fresh and that things go slower on my music front these days because being an executive director of a national nonprofit is definitely a time consuming, but it's definitely also needed for me to kind of like nourish that side of my person. So tell me a little bit about the shift into this position of director of strategic change for the Federation. How did you come into that? I was consulting these startup companies and I was producing the Dawn event, the Shavuos event in San Francisco. And we had like 5,000 people coming to this event once a year. It was a pretty popular thing. And a dear friend, an amazing guy named Daniel Sokach, moved up to San Francisco and took the role as the head of the San Francisco Federation and wanted to bring me in to consult the Federation, kind of like treat some of the programming that they're doing as one would treat a startup. And so kind of I dipped my toe in that way. Daniel, I don't think lasted a year. He thinks he lasted more than a year, but I don't think he lasted more than a year at the Federation. So all of a sudden he left and Jennifer Gorovitz took over as executive director, not a CEO, not only a CEO, but let's make sure we know this, the first woman CEO of a major federation in history. That's awesome. And she asked me if I would come aboard on more of a staff level. And it was one of those moments in time. I had a wife who was pregnant, who was going to be our first child. And the idea of having a little bit more of a normalized job with benefits was something that we kind of needed. So I worked with her. Working with her was just phenomenal. She was just a great person to work with and still a dear, dear friend of mine. That's how that happened. I mean, the whole thing is just a strange story. Right. It seems like two very different worlds, though, when you think about, I mean, you know, a federation, even one in San Francisco, even with a job like Strategic Change and something like Reboot, which is not the opposite, but is a very different model of engaging the Jewish community. And to be honest, the strategic change part of my job was really realized under Jen's leadership after she Mm -hmm. left. The very capable people who came after her kind of modified my job a little bit. I wasn't as much doing that. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I still talk to a lot of musicians. You know, I'm still involved in that world. The craziness of musicians, the craziness of donors. There's a lot of craziness out there. And I (laughs) I have to say, there were days where I was having phone calls with you know, ex-musician who is going through some kind of crazy thing. Then I'd have a donor who's going through some crazy thing. And I would put the phone down. I'm like, wow, 
maybe the world isn't that different. Yeah, right. <laughs> different crazy things right. you know, fueled by different types of craziness. Yeah, I was just very intrigued by having spent time in different kinds of cultures like that. But it sounds like the leaders in which you worked under at a federation definitely colored that particular experience. And I say crazy donors. I love the musicians I work with. I love the donors I work with. It's not to say that. It's just that, you know, people are people and everybody has complex lives. And, you know, I happen to love people. So, you know, I love working with people who have colorful lives. Yeah, that's definitely a plus for your kind of position. <laughs> Great. So let's go a little bit into the organization itself. I'd love to, you kind of gave us a little bit of background, but I'd love to hear a little more as far as philosophy or what gap was trying to be filled or what was kind of seen that brought about the organization and then a little bit more about the work that y'all do today. So, you know, 17 years ago, it looks very different than it does now. When the conversation that Rachel and Roger convened happened during that period of time, a lot of what you call Jewish culture was a lot more closeted. There wasn't transparent, which, you know, a very popular TV show that had such a radical and amazing Jewish theme that kind of ran through it. And Jill Soloway, who starred Transparent, went through Reboot, claims that that experience was a big catalyst to why there's a Jewish component to the work that she does. I think it's safe to say that after 17 years, partially because of the work that we've done, the Jewish conversation has evolved and it's evolved in a beautiful way into a point where I almost feel like we're in a Jewish renaissance at mm -hmm. this point in time. You know, so many more organizations that are set up doing so many amazing things. And, you know, Reboot is right there in the front of it. And it's a pleasure. The focal point of the organization is this group of creatives that we've curated over the years. It's their ideas, it's their expertise, it's their inspiration and drive that fuels the ideas and the programs and products that we create and develop. You were talking about 10Q. That was a project that was created you know, during a conversation about how I can incorporate the high hollows into my life in a way that doesn't feel like anything's there. A lot of Jews don't go to the temple. I mean, even though right. it's like the biggest temple day, a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't know how to even experience the high holidays. And it was a conversation between someone who was very much in the wellness space and somebody who was a editor for The New Yorker. And 10Q came from that. And they're still involved today as 10Q grows. It's growing splendid. I'm really glad that you participated over the years because you understand the power of doing it over and over again and kind yeah. of seeing the nature of your questions and answers changing. Right. I went um, back to look because I just wasn't sure how long. And I was like, 2009. Well, I know, I know it's been a long time, but it really made me want to go back to those 2009 answers and see what was going on, you know, post-college yeah. versus kind of where I am now. It's just such a wonderful, I mean, even just the act of reflecting and, you know, my family members aren't as religious, so they don't go to high holiday services, but they do this, right? They do something at this time in which they are thinking and reflecting about their lives and their future. And then the opportunity, because I feel like it's something you do at camp, right? You write a letter to yourself and then like send it in a few months or you see it in next year. And this idea that you're not just writing it for like your current reflection, but that, you know, you receive it kind of as a surprise in your inbox, like the following year, we're like, oh yeah, I can't believe I wrote that. I mean, my husband and I literally like, you have to wait until we're both home and we both sit down and we read oh, them wow. to each other. But I don't think that's unique in the no. experience that Reboot has created around this very traditional, sometimes very somber, sometimes very boring holiday that has so much meaning to it that seemingly is hidden if you're not participating in the traditional way or open to it in the traditional way that I think the organization has really brought forward for people, which is fantastic. 
you know, I feel like I don't need to say anything more about Reboot because you're saying it better than I would. I mean, I, think that, <laughs> I mean, the truth is, is that everything we do has to have a deep Jewish meaning. We have to keep the core of whatever we're focusing upon, whether it's the 10 days of awe or Shavuos or Hanukkah or whatever holiday or activity Shabbat. we're focused upon, Shabbat, the core of whatever that is, is intact. It's the clothing that we wrap around the core that is different, something that people can kind of relate to. The idea is that, and again, going back to post-World War II America, and I hate to keep going back there, but it, it does tell the reboot story very well. The reaction was, let's move to the suburbs, let's build temples, and let's create this physical you know, manifestation of where we should be, right? Right. And I think that we live in the Burning Man generation. It's the maker generation. It's a generation of people who are looking for, you know, the communities in their own image. They're looking to do things in their own way and they're looking for meaning and they're looking for deep meaning. That's where I feel the sweet spot of Reboot is. There's no walls in our work. It's really about creating experiences that anyone could, you know, engage with even non-Jews. And I will say that, you know, I am a definite product of the modern times. My wife is not Jewish. We're raising our children Jewishly. Neither my wife or I have any interest in her converting. And uh, I mean, if she wanted to, I obviously would be totally supportive of it, but it's that's not a thing for us. Yeah. And the truth is, is that the reboot stuff is often the places where we as a couple and as a family find the easiest entry into celebrating right. Judaism on our terms. None of the questions in 10Q like require any kind of Jewish knowledge or like there's no, no terms or words or like things that would throw anybody off. I mean, it's all very accessible. Yeah. And, and you know what? While you say that, I would argue that if people like yourself do 10Q even once, and then you ask them, what's the 10 days of awe about? They're probably apt to almost give you a better description of it right. <laughs> coming from a very personal level than somebody who is forced to go to temple you know, twice a year mm. and sits there unhappy and or lost and or you know, whatever. Right. And by the way, I'm not saying all temple experiences are not good. I've been to amazing ones and we have amazing rabbis in our world that exist and do this great work. I just think, and, and, you know, Reboot is just part of the conversation. It's imperative that we have the entire community as part of that conversation. I want to actually focus a little bit on that. You know, obviously in your website, you talk a lot about your partners and partnerships and things like that. And I'm exploring a lot this particular year with this program on our legacy organization versus what I'm calling millennial organizations like yourself in just a vastly different way and models of being in the world, help facilitate people to create community for themselves. So it's kind of a twofold question. So the first fold in your experience, since you do have a little bit of experience with the Federation, which is a legacy organization and this more millennial organization, and as somebody who is hopefully in charge of change, right, and trying to sort of adapt these legacy organizations, does it feel like these organizations will adapt and understand better what creates community today? Or is it evolution and they are going to eventually close their doors? And these new organizations are just going to keep multiplying and building and creating community for today's people. I'm going to step back and answer your question in a very Jewish way, which is a non-answer. Awesome. Um, one of the things that we have realized at Reboot, we used to use the word innovation all the time. We talked about the work that we did. And we realized that that really is a very problematic word because century-old organizations can have innovative movements in their own right 
as well as new organizations. And there's programs that come out of all of our organizations, you know, the oldest ones and the newest ones that have some innovative components to it. So one of the ways we describe the work of Reboot is we are a part of the evolving conversation, the evolving Jewish Mm -hmm. conversation. And we have our own aspect of it that we own, but we're a part of a bigger thing. You know, I don't know all the federations backwards and forwards, but like, you know, there's Scott in Detroit, who's a truly inspirational head of a federation. Our federation here in San Francisco has amazing people involved in it. And I think that you could be a hundred-year-old organization or a one-year-old organization and without any sort of evolution, you know, kind of become redundant. But I think that like, I have a deep level of hope for our community and for all the organizations that are in it. And I have a lot of really good friends who are running a lot of these organizations Mm -hmm. who, when I talk to, are inspiring. Now, I think we have a lot of issues we need to deal with. I think that the fact that we, we have an issue with older donors who have had a vision of how they want their philanthropy to impact the Jewish community in a way, they're thinking the right way. The more you continue on a track, the more that you probably will achieve the goals you want to achieve, right? That's a very healthy way of looking at philanthropy. You know, if I'm going to be giving to an organization over and over again over the course of time, that my goal for that organization will be realized. The issue is, is that there's a lot of changes going on around us. And, you know, every study that's done basically comes out with the same thing. And that is, there's a hell of a lot of millennials around. There's a hell of a lot of people in the Generation X world and, you know, give or take other generations in between. And they're looking for more of a personalized experience. And Mm -hmm. what they're not looking to do is to, you know, be thrust into a huge building with a already creative community that they are not completely sure that feels like them. And I think it's a challenge for us as an entire community of how to best serve a majority of the people who we want in our community. So here I am. I've totally drunk the Kool-Aid. Part of the reason that I feel that Reboot is such a vital and necessary organization is because that's the work that we do. We do the work in creating opportunities for people who don't necessarily want to engage in the traditional ways to still have a deep, deep Jewish experience in different ways. And what we also realized is by just focusing on how those people react to our work is really kind of like short shrifting ourselves because we're also finding there's a lot of people out there who love, you know, celebrating Jewish life in more traditional ways that also love the work that we do. And, you know, you were talking about our community partners and, you know, we have hundreds of them all over the country. You know, there have been 900 organizations that have partnered with us in various ways over the last couple of years. Josh Cantor, who runs our community partner program, is just growing it and making it more impactful. He's great. Our community partners range from older, more traditional Jewish organizations and institutions, JCCs, to Moisha houses, who are, you know, people who use our stuff all the time and partner with us all the time. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. I think the short answer is I have a lot of hope for both the traditional and the newer organizations. Right. And I asked, and I had started the question off by asking about partnerships, really, because so much of your stuff is so accessible, right? I work for a legacy organization and I, you know, brought to our program person, I'm like, hey, 10Q, you know, she's like, oh, I've never heard of it. And it was unfortunately too late for us to have done anything. But literally all we have to do is send out the link, right? To inform people that we work with, hey, there's this awesome offering. And I think sometimes there's a little bit of 
holding things closing. Well, it's not our program, right? It's not something we did. But in a synagogue environment, in these legacy organizations, simply sharing the resources that are out there for people to connect, you know, it's, oh, wow, I found this really cool 10Q thing through organization X, Y, or Z, through my synagogue. And then they held an event where we got together and talked about our reflections or, you know, oh, I, you know, had an email from my federation and I learned about this cool 10Q thing or any of your kind of, you know, publications or offerings or events or things like that. I think it's so easy to pull in the new and as you said, innovative into our community as a whole in these kind of other ways that I don't think people think too much about. So I was curious about what kind of partnerships you're finding who is kind of excited about bringing your work into their community and where you're kind of getting some pushback or some negative feedback on your work, right? It's interesting because when you ask about negative feedback on our work, I think that it doesn't really work that way. People partner with us and our partners are generally happy with our partnerships. And the people who don't want to partner with us, we just either don't hear from or don't hear from again. We rarely get somebody calling like, I can't believe you're doing this. You know, I mean, it's not like we're, you know, offering a Shabbat dinner with wonderful pork spare ribs and, and considering kosher at that moment in time. There's definitely a respect that we have to the work that we do. The probability is we're not reaching a lot of the Orthodox community. That being said, there are some modern Orthodox, you know, shuls and organizations that do work with us. You know, our community partnerships are growing and I'm not just trying to like, you know, sidestep the question of, you know, how would people respond badly to us? I'll tell you, I think that there are some people who are, to them, Reboot is somewhat of a head scratcher. Whenever you're dealing with attempting to reach unengaged individuals, attempting to kind of like change the conversation to try things that are new, there's a metrics there that can be seen, that can be counted. But then there's also something that's kind of like, well, how do we know? How does that all work out? And how do we know that we're having the deep impact we want? And over the last couple of years, remember, I've been involved in this conversation with Reboot for a long time. We realized that when you're trying to engage a group of people who aren't really plugged in, sometimes those metrics are a little difficult to really nail down. And there's a little like, you know, kind of like assumptions that you have to make. Over the last two or three years, led by our COO, Shane Hankin, who's I've worked with a lot as a lay leader and now as executive director, we've kind of codified better ways of kind of understanding how people are affected by our work. We've spent a lot of time in trying to actually deepen our programmatic experiences to kind of link all the stuff that we do in the given year to allow people more opportunities to kind of engage in our work and the way we do our thing. Because we understand that like, you know, when you're running a Jewish home, the metrics are a lot easier to kind of like come up with. You know, you have a certain amount of people who are there. You then, you know, sometimes like launching a new type of Jewish experience that hasn't really been seen before. And I think ultimately, I think it's fair to say that like 16 years ago, just getting Jews to do something interesting was a big thing. Now it's about, okay, they've done something interesting. Now what? And by the way, I think that's a very good next place to go. I respect and feel that that's a good question to ask. And so we're doing more and more to try to make ourselves understandable to those folks who scratch their head over the work that we do. You've been listening to It's Who You Know, the podcast. I'm your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Before returning to my conversation with David, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the guest for our next podcast episode. 
Lisa Colton is the Chief Learning Officer at C3 Communications and the founder and president of Darim Online, who discusses with me her years of helping Jewish organizations come into the 21st century, not only in how they utilize technology, but how they connect their constituents to the organization and to each other. Here is a clip from our upcoming conversation. Communications doesn't just exist in a vacuum, and it's not actually about the technology. It's about using that all as a tool to accomplish your mission and pursue your goals. So as I realized that people were having a hard time seeing the connection between the strategy and the technology and the tactics, it begged a lot of other kinds of questions. If you're running your organization in a very top-down way, but you're trying to be successful with social media, which is a very bottom-up and mm-hmm. social space, you can see the natural conflict. So for many you know, older, more traditional legacy organizations that have grown up in and have a culture that was fueled by a baby boomer generation, it's not surprising that that culture and strategy may not be so resonant with a millennial audience. And if that organization wants to be successful with millennials and weather these changing times successfully, it's going to mean more than being on Instagram. And so we look at some of those deeper strategic questions. And for me, that's really fun. Be sure to listen to the rest of my conversation with Lisa in our next episode of It's Who You Know. But for now, back to David. So talking about the work that you do, I'm just going to read real quick off of your website, some of the programs that y'all have listed, because I know you also have events. So as I mentioned, you have the Kibitz podcast, which it says here is a part conversation, part Q&A, just kind of going over Jewish stuff. I'm assuming you could talk a little bit more about that as well. And that's a newer project. You have the National Day of Unplugging, which I know is a much older project. I'm not sure when that began, but I know it's been around for a little Nine while. Nine years ago. Yeah. Uh, we already we've talked in length about 10Q. You have something called Beyond Bubby, six-word memoirs on Jewish life. Rebar, which is basically rethinking your B'nai Mitzvah. Unscrolled, which is a new publication. And then the Friday app, which I actually just downloaded and very excited for. So kind of takes the idea of 10Q's annual reflection and brings it to a weekly reflection before sunset, which is awesome. So of these programs, what's your favorite? Oh, they're all my favorite. (laughs) I love them all. I mean, I think that, again, to answer you in a very Jewish way, I would say instead of asking what's my favorite, I mean, what are the ones that I have a lot of focus on? Because, you know, our programs are in different stages of growth. And so we've talked about 10Q enough, you know, NDU and 10Q, the National Day of Unplugging and 10Q are two programs that have been around the longest to reach. I mean, we had 850 events around the National Day of Unplugging a couple of weeks ago. We had over 60,000 people participate in the National Day of Unplugging directly. We had even more who unplugged and took the unplugging challenge. See, that's and, so easy, right? That's so easy for a synagogue to glove onto or a federation yeah, to glove yeah. onto. Or, I mean, it just, it's so accessible, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you know, amen to all you federations out there who are listening. Right. We haven't talked to you yet. The projects that we're developing right now, the ones that are kind of like really going out there into the world, you mentioned one of them is the Kibitz, our podcast, and the other one is our Death Over Dinner, the Jewish edition. These are ones that have, again, came from conversations from the Reboot Network, went through a process of kind of like figuring out and iterating and seeing if it was something that we really wanted to invest in, see if there was a there there, as they say, doing some seed funding and seeing how that worked out and then doing fundraising around it. So those are the two that are like the ones that are hitting the streets right now and having success. 85,000 listeners in the kibitz last season. That's awesome. And season three is going to be great. 
And with Death Over Dinner, we're holding, you know, hundreds of dinners across America. And we're finding that, you know, people do want to talk about their end of life experiences. And these curated conversations are something that's becoming somewhat of a fad these days. People like having dinner parties and like having conversations that they're kind of like led through. And we're giving them an opportunity to have this extreme amount of Jewish content framing a major part of life that is not necessarily talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. So those are two things that we're finding great success with. And we have more stuff coming. We have a award-winning PBS documentarian and a killer PR person who have come together to start recording. It's called The Last Act, and it's talking to 80 and 90-year-old people about how their spirituality and their Jewishness and just their overall life thoughts evolve when they're in their 80s and 90s. Mm. We were talking earlier about you know old organizations versus new organizations. Well, this is one where we're actually going to be partnering with the Jewish home here in San Francisco to create a maker studio in the home in itself to create a toolkit to allow junior high and high school kids to interview everyone who's there, mm. learn how to edit film, learn how to create these three-minute pieces. That's what the last act's all about, these three-minute pieces that contain these nuggets of beauty. And then we have a website we're launching and the whole thing. And so that's a perfect example of a project that is in its formative stages. You know, and there's so mm-hmm. many more that are just coming down the pipeline. Well, so what I love about it too, when I talk about these partnerships and being able to glob onto you guys is, you know, in my organization, you know, people know about podcasts. Clearly, this is a podcast. And, you know, someone was like, oh, you know, our organization should start a podcast. And I'm like, and when all the staff members are like, mm, or not, like, there, what, like, there's no content. That'd be a lot of work. Like, it just isn't right for, an organization to be doing, right? For our organization to be doing and for many other organizations. So a federation is just trying to be like, we should start a podcast and it's going to be great because that's what's cool and in and we want to be cool and in. But looking at the resources, right? That you are very well positioned to be creating, to be on the forefront of and partnering and utilizing what you're doing to the benefit of their organization and the benefit of their community, really, in ways that you just can't do yourself. Organizations can't set up what you're setting up with this end-of-life stuff, but can definitely benefit from the work that you are uniquely set up to be able to do to enhance their own community. I'll tell you something. I am so much a believer in partnerships. I don't Do you know Kajem, the Committee for American Jewish Museums that kind of oversees all Jewish museums? They just had a big conference. I don't, but that's awesome. So we're going to be partnering up with them to do fellowships where we have members of the network go to places that have large amounts of Jewish content to kind of remix that content via new types of exhibits or other kinds of like, you know, things for new generations to kind of explore and get into. We did one at the Yiddish Book Center last year with a lot of success. Partnering with KJM is amazing. Partnering with the Jewish Home is amazing. I think that one of the things that when I was on the board, you know, five or six years ago that we realized is that part of the reason that people might not understand Reboot is because they see us as like something apart from the rest of the Jewish community. And it's, right. it could not be farther from the truth. And I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as we want to be accessible to anybody who wants to find us, who wants to use our stuff. We have people who are ready to walk people through the toolkits of all of our projects and these partnerships. I get so excited with the idea of partnering with an organization that is a totally different organization from us, from how long they've been around to what their focus is, what their mission is, to really kind of like together we can do amazing things. And that's something that we're doing more and more of, which is very exciting for me. 
So having worked with many Jewish professionals and finding yourself now a Jewish professional, what kind of advice do you have for those people out there working in millennial organizations or legacy organizations or thinking of starting their own organization? What's some advice you might have for them, people in the field? I think that the biggest piece of advice that I kind of like, it's kind of written on my wall and it's something I look at all the time and it's something that you got to constantly remember is there's no solid, ultimate way of doing something. And as soon as you think that you're doing it the right way, something's going to come along, some information is going to be passed on to you, the times are going to change, a new technology is going to come out that's going to change people's lives, people are going to identify with the world a little differently. That's going to force you to kind of reevaluate you know, how you're doing things. You should approach those changes with joy and with optimism. The people who I want to partner with and the people who Reboot want to partner with are people who, you know, see all these studies that are going around and read from them optimism, not fear. To approach the world in a fearful way, you're going to turn off anybody that you're going to be trying to connect with. If you approach your work with joy and you approach it with a good amount of smarts and thoroughness and definitely excellence then there's a really good possibility that the ideas that you're doing are going to relate to a broader audience of people. I also would say that you never want to water down what you're doing enough so people just totally don't understand what you're doing. And I see that happen occasionally. The big advice I give is, you know, for every day that you do your work, you know, just keep your mind as open as you can be, obviously with critical thinking involved as well. I mean, you don't want to just jump on any kind of fad and run with it. And this is one that I think more and more people are saying, and I just want to make sure that they're actually doing in practices. Allow yourself to fail, allow yourself to learn from failures, and allow your failures to end up being the bedrock for the next great idea. And I was on a call two days ago where I was part of a call with a bunch of different organizations talking about a topic that I will not bore you with. But it was really apparent to me early on in that call that some of the work that we had done that hadn't worked And that's happened to us. I mean, that's just the way it is. When you're Mm -hmm. creating new projects, you're going to have wonderful opportunities of things not working. That it really became clear to me that we had a really great added value to the conversation because we were able to say, I know that you think this is going to work, but I would just say, maybe it will. However, just let us tell you about how it didn't work for us. You know, with the podcast, we ended up having somebody in the Reboot Network who is very involved with podcasts. We had a person who had a deep career in doing that kind of work. And it allowed us the ability of experimenting, right? Mm -hmm. And that experiment ended up being a good one. But for every good experiment, there are others that don't seem to pan out. Right. So don't get discouraged. Keep an open mind. There's so many different ways of looking at the work. And then the hippiness side of me is like, and be good to everybody. Be good to each other. You know, we're in the nonprofit world, and I think that comes with it, the sense of we're trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to make the world whole again. And I think it's pretty necessary for us to be very, very good to each other. That's wonderful. Well, I have a bit of a unique question that you may or may not have answers to, but you were obviously in a unique position with this organization in which you were a lay leader for many, many years involved and then you know came into the professional role. So I'm curious to hear from you. Any lessons, either good or bad, from your predecessors that you kind of watched in their professional role, or maybe you were the boss of in their professional role, or you know, coached maybe in the professional role that you were thinking about when you took this job on, having watched all of them do the job, you know, for this organization at different stages of the organization. If there were any kind of lessons or things you picked up from them along the way, there is a lesson that I didn't get from them, but a lesson that I had to learn myself is 
if you've never been the executive director of a Jewish organization, or excuse me, let's start that again. If you've never been the executive director of any organization, <laughs> and it was not something that you were ambitious to do. So I've right. never, I never woke up like, you know, 15 years ago, I'd wake up and I'm like, I want to make a record with, you know, the boredoms from Japan. And that's what I want to do. I want to, you know, go on tour with, yeah. you know, X band or something like that. And that's what I want to do. If you had asked me 15 years ago, oh, do you want to be the executive director of a, a national nonprofit organization? Right. I'd be like, why would I want to do that? Um, <laughs> You're my so worst nightmare. Into this world, was this, no, no, I'm no, kidding, no, no, no. I'm kidding, it's just, I'm not, just, just not there. Yeah. You know, there's definitely some nightmare ideas I could definitely put myself through. Those right. not one of them, especially, you know, for, you know, Reboot, there's such an ingrained part of it that's artful and inspiring and deep thinking. That's the kind of stuff I've always been into. That's what kind of like drew right. me to the organization from the very beginning. But I had an imposter complex, you know, for the first couple of months when I started mm. being at this organization, because, you know, the person who was my predecessor was Robin Kramer, who is by all accounts, the greatest executive director that you could possibly ever have no. for your organization. And, you know, another person who had been an executive director for our organization was a guy named Lou Cove, who is another one of those. He's probably the greatest fundraiser I've met so far. Mm. He's smart and he's kind and the whole thing. It's like, so my first feeling was that of an imposter. And it actually took me some time to kind of find my legs. I really deeply recommend executive coaches. Mm. If you find the right one. And right now I have an executive coach who's amazing. I think that's a really powerful thing. I think finding people who are in the position of being an executive director who you can talk to is a very positive thing. They talk about it being lonely at the top and there are moments of true loneliness. And if your board is acting properly, then a lot of the decision-making ends up stopping with you, right? Mm -hmm. If your board is acting properly. I have a board who half of them, I think I even brought on the board. I mean, I was right. on the board for a long time. And, you know, we have an amazingly healthy working relationship. And because of that working relationship and the fact that it's healthy, that means it ends up being with me that major decisions have to happen and learning how to be comfortable mm -hmm. about that. Also learning when to ask questions and ask for help and learning when not to have pride. You're asking me a year and a half in, I would have had a very different answer just six months ago. I feel like, you know, going through the first year was exhilarating, tough gut-punching, inspirational. There is the CEO onboarding program that the Jewish world has now that I'm a part of. That has been an amazing gift to me. My executive coach, which actually came from the onboarding program, has been amazing to me. I have a handful of board members who are friends slash confidants slash much more brilliant than I could ever be, who will take my call when I need to ask really hard questions. And we have two or three of our biggest donors whose heads of the foundations are so open-hearted and generous with their time and supportive and knowing how to and when to ask the questions you need to ask from them it just happened today, learning how to create this environment of a nurturing environment that you can work from. And then when you have to make the hard decisions, you know, having a structure and a foundation which you feel comfortable standing upon to make those hard decisions. Yeah. It's a, one of the reasons we call ourselves a community <laughs> um, yeah, is being exactly. able to kind of stand with each other, especially when making such a big shift as you did. Wonderful. So now that you've come into this new role, I feel a little more comfortable in it, but 
you clearly come from, that was the unstable, but a little less predictable world of music. How do you keep it all together? What are some ways and tactics and tools that you use? You mentioned one child. Is there more? I have two children. Two children. So two children, a wife, a career. What are some ways to keep it all together? Keeping it together and having it be a healthy thing are two different things. So I keep it together because you know, my dad always taught me that if you're doing something, you got to give it your all and you got to show up in your best person and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I learned from that. So I keep it together in honor of my parents and what they've taught me. So that's one thing. Don't be a drug addict. (laughs) Um, And that's a great way of keeping it together. I think I'm still learning how to have a good work-life balance. The hardest part of the job for me, and it really destroys me, is if you're running a national organization, you need to travel. You have to travel to raise money. You have to travel to raise friends. You have to travel. To promote your organization and speak at conferences and yeah. If you have a partner or you have a board member who's really stepping up or if you have a potential funder and they want to meet with you, there's an easy way to make it look like you don't care that much and that is not to go. If you care, you show up. I mean, that's just Mm -hmm. the way it is. That's the hardest part of the job for me. And so what I've been doing lately, and I'm trying to figure out if it works or not, is doing these whirlwind trips where I did three cities in five days. I did Chicago, DC, and New York. And I got all the meetings that I needed. It was getting up at four o'clock in the morning, most mornings, to kept planes and stuff yeah. like that. And it made it so I could be away from my kids as little as possible because right. I am not the kind of person who actually doesn't want to be with my family. I'd prefer being with them than anybody else. So what we didn't talk about, but what's really happening, and which is both really significantly adding to my workload this year, and pushing me farther away from balance, but could in the future be a balancing agent, is that we are engaging our strategic plan work this year. So Reboot is about to hire a strategic planning firm. We are about to start a very deep dive into who we are for the next five years at least. Reboot is an organization that has more opportunities than we'd ever really care to want almost. Right. So the question is, is that how we do the work we do, mm-hmm. how we can be most impactful, how we can be most effective, and how to bring along everybody with us. And talk about ourselves in a way that those head scratchers that I talked to you about earlier will not be head scratchers anymore right. after hearing three sentences of how we do what we do. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're getting to right now. That process is going to kill me this year with time. And if it comes out the right way, next year, it's going to be like a whole new world. Yeah, it is uh, a wonderful process. Long, but wonderful. And I think that my board will be more into it. I think that the staff will be more into it. I think that my network will understand. Now, was this something... Not mine, the network. Oh, by the way, another thing, you don't want to ever think it's your organization because it's not. It's so not. (laughs) That's been made very clear to you. Was this something that you realized needed to happen? Was this a board kind of decision or I realized and the board realized the big question was whether we were going to hire somebody from the outside to come Mm. in or not I would argue that our model and we don't have to get into it now but our model is one that requires growth every year to a point where I'm not really quite sure if that's really the way we want to go and what I want to do is have a model that we are in complete control of that we feel is like the most tight impactful model that we can have, sustainable, that whole thing, exciting, inspirational. And so to bring a firm in that does this for a living 
It'll also allow me to be more a part of the conversation and leading a color conversation, Mm -hmm. which obviously isn't completely, you know, I don't get off that easily because I'm going to have to be working hand in hand with the strategic firm that we hire, but definitely it's something that is going to be a good thing for us. Just don't do away with 10Q or if you do give it to me and I'll do it. (laughs) Or tell the consultants to call me and I'll tell them not to get rid of it. (laughs) You know, know, and we never get rid of our programs. Our programs sit, there are some programs that we don't focus on as much that we still have community partners coming to us saying they want to be a part of. And we know we do. We give them the toolkit. We lead them through the process. We show them how people have done it. We share our best practices and best ways of doing the programs. There's a lot of ways of building collateral or building, you know, stuff. That's our catalog. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the stuff that we own. Well, I didn't necessarily intend this conversation to be a reboot love fest, but that seems to just have how it has uh, gone. We um, love that you love us. So, you know, we've kind of touched a, upon a, a few things as to why the organization exists, how it does what it does, your own personal journey. Is there anything else that we've kind of left on the table you'd like to revisit? Oh, oh I'll tell you one thing. We need a better website. So, um, <laughs> you know, if you're going on our website that you said earlier that we do, we do need one, but I encourage people to go to that website anyway and kind of see all the things that we're doing and to try to dive into some of the stuff that we're working on. We're very, very excited about it. Great. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the program and giving us a little more information about yourself and the organization and the wonderful work that you guys do. Thank you for having me on the program. I've been looking forward to it for good reason. When I reflect on why I admire Reboot's work so much, I can't help but think about how clear and understandable and different their vision is. It's not too different from other emerging organizations. How do we help you do Jewish on your terms? How do we help lift up these ancient traditions and texts and rituals to be deeply meaningful to the way we experience the world today? My favorite thing about Reboot, as I mentioned in our conversation, is that they are a platform for programs that can be utilized in creating community if they're completely on your own as an individual, paying no money to anyone, or can be easily integrated into activities already being done at our traditional brick and mortar institutions. Use what they are giving you for free to help create a better community. You could create a 10Q event and talk about what it felt like to read last year's questions and help your community share their stories with one another. Create a small group discussion after Shabbat services discussing the latest episode of The Kibbutz. Make the National Day of Unplugging a thing and advertise those who pledged to participate. Then share those stories of what it was like to unplug for a day. I could keep going, but... They have a website and I'm sure people, they pay to advertise these things to everybody. But my point is they are providing a valuable service in creating the programs that can make our communities so much stronger and more vibrant with minimal effort. And at the same time, they provide a platform for those who wish to engage Jewishly in the most non-traditional way possible. So what are the lessons here for your institution, for the way you think about your engagement work? Is there something here you can utilize and translate to better fulfill your organization's mission? Because I definitely think that there is. This program has been funded in part by the Jim Joseph Foundation. Our editor is Nick Bowden of Bowden Sound, and our fiscal sponsor is Jewish Creativity International. You can find previous episodes, guest bios, podcast articles, how to start your own podcast, and more on our website, it's whoyouknowthepodcast.com. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week. Thank you.